1 Samuel chapter 2. 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exulteth in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. Hannah is not just praying, she's actually worshiping and exalting the Lord. This is going to be a poem that she said, and it could have also been a song. The Bible doesn't tell us specifically, but we can consider this a poem to the Lord because she's so grateful that God gave her a child. And remember, she gave that child right back to God. She isn't being needy and selfish. Because of that, God is going to bless her greatly and actually give her more children that she will keep in her home. But she gave her first child back to the Lord. You know, normally the Israelites have to pay a price for their firstborn child, but she has done far more than that. She has given her child as a lifelong Nazarite to serve the Lord in the tabernacle. She's done way more than pay a financial price. Her trust is so much in the Lord that she gave the child back. Most people would just be thankful that they got a child and keep it. They wouldn't give their child back to the Lord. Her faith is massive, and she's going to be blessed even more with more children in the future. So here's the rest of her praise prayer. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies. The other wife, Penina, was constantly harassing her. So Penina was her enemy, harassing her because she didn't have children. Because I rejoice in thy salvation. God has saved her from being barren. And she also said her horn is exalted. And remember, a horn represents the strength of her life is lifted up. Because now she is a mother. Two, there is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. That's very true. Our God is the only God. Three, multiply not exceeding proud talk. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. She's saying, as people, we should not be proud, because the Lord knows everything, and he looks at our hearts, and he judges us by our hearts, so we can't fool him. For the bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. You know how God turns everything around? Often he'll cause the younger child to be ahead of the older child, and he can make you a king or a peasant, and he could make a king into a peasant and make a peasant into a king. And that's what she's saying. The strong men in battle often lose. Those could be the giants that the Israelites have fought. The giants lost when the little tiny Israelites were fighting them. And even if you're stumbling in battle, he can still cause you to win. 5. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, meaning they that had everything now have to beg for a job. And they that were hungry have ceased, meaning those who didn't have food now are never hungry again. While the barren hath borne seven. And actually, Hannah is going to have six children altogether, so not quite seven, but close enough. She that had many children hath languished. It's true that there's some mothers who have a lot of kids, but they don't have any joy from their kids. Their kids haven't blessed them, or they haven't blessed their children, so there's no joy and happiness. 6. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. He can cause us to die, and he can also cause us to be resurrected. 7. The Lord maketh poor and he maketh rich. He bringeth low and he also lifteth up. 8. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. He lifteth up the needy from the dunghill, even from a pile of animal poop used for compost. He can lift you up from that, even if that's your home, to make them sit with princes and inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. The earth is fixed. It isn't moving. 
what God creates, it's going to stay that way until he changes it. The earth is always going to be the earth until God destroys it himself because he created it. Only he can destroy. There will be people who in this world have to sleep on a dunghill, but they're going to heaven because they trust the Lord and they, they obey him. They will be princes and princesses in heaven and they will sit at the king's table who is Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of poor people today who, when we see them in heaven, they're going to be very glorious because they loved God. Nine, he will keep the feet of his holy ones, but the wicked shall be put to silence in darkness, for not by strength shall man prevail. If we live a wicked life, we will go into outer darkness that Jesus talked about in the New Testament. It's a part of hell where some people go. 10. They that strive with the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them will he thunder in heaven. If we battle against the Lord and we revolt against his commandments, then he will get his own revenge against us in the end. And that's like when he destroys the world in the end times. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. His anointed is Jesus. That's his son. He will exalt Jesus above everything on earth and everyone. And actually Jesus is already exalted because he's already ascended to heaven. But when she said this, Jesus hadn't come to earth and then ascended yet. This is long before he was born on earth. She's also prophesying as she praises the Lord. And you know what? When you really do exalt the Lord, you always end up prophesying because you talk about what he's already done and what he's going to do. So this is the end of her prayer. 11. And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Hannah and her husband and their family went home, and Hannah's son Samuel stayed with the priest Eli to minister for life. He never left. 12. Now the sons of Eli were base men. They knew not the Lord. Eli is the high priest. His oldest son is going to inherit the priesthood, but both his oldest and his second oldest son are evil. They don't even know God because they don't know or care to know God. I've had conversations with people like this. They look at you like you're crazy when you talk about Jesus, yet they call themselves Christians. And God isn't fooled by that. 13. And the custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething, meaning while the meat was boiling, with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. 14. And he struck it into the pan, or kettle, or cauldron, or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took therewith. They did unto all the Israelites that came thither in Shiloh. Shiloh is the capital of Israel. That's where the tabernacle is. That's where all the sacrifices are supposed to take place. And God, in his law that we read in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, he specifically stated what part of the animal the priests are supposed to have for every different kind of sacrifice. But what Eli's sons were doing and their servants under them was they came up with their own rules in order to get more food than what they were supposed to be getting from the sacrifice so that they could work less and get more. They violated God's rules. And what they were doing was instead of waiting until the food was cooked and then taking the portion that God told them to take in the law, they were going up with a pitchfork instrument. And while the food was still cooking, which is you're not supposed to take it at that point, but while it was still cooking, they had this practice that as much as that fork could lift up in one lifting, they got all of it. It's probably like a game or a contest where they're like, how much can I lift today with my pitchfork? They made a whole game and a mockery out of God's law. 
by lifting the food before it gets cooked and by lifting it according to this stupid game, they were taking a lot more from the sacrifices than what they were supposed to be taking. And they were taking it home to cook it at home, which is also a violation. The food that's eaten from the sacrifice is supposed to be eaten in the presence of the Lord to fellowship with the Lord. But they were taking it home because they didn't care anything about fellowshipping with the Lord. They didn't care where they got the food from, that they got it from God. They just wanted to take it and run. Now Eli himself wasn't doing this, but his sons and their servants were. 15. Yea, before the fat was made to smoke, the priest's servants came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. That is totally evil, because the fat was always supposed to burn for the Lord. The Levites weren't supposed to eat the fat. All of it was supposed to be burnt to the Lord as a sweet savor unto the Lord. The Levites wanted the fat anyway, even though it was appointed only for God to have. And so that's why they were taking the food before it was cooked, because after it's cooked, the fat is all gone. That's why they were demanding raw flesh, which they're not supposed to do. 16. And if the man said unto him, Let the fat be made to smoke first of all, meaning that the man wanted to obey God's law, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would say, The priest, Nay, but thou shalt give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. This is robbery. This is so perverted. If the man refused to give him the meat that he was demanding before the Lord got the Lord's portion, then he would say, I'm just going to take it by force if you don't give it to me. They were probably manhandling people, maybe even hitting people, knocking people over to take the food by force if it wasn't handed to them. This is just solid wickedness. 17. And the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men dealt contemptuously with the offering of the Lord. 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. Eli, knowing that Samuel is honest and true, he actually gave the little boy an ephod to wear. They had a boy-sized ephod. The ephods are supposed to be for men to wear. But the men were so dishonest that Eli's putting the ephod on this boy, but he's still letting his dishonest sons do whatever they want. 19. Moreover, his mother made him a little robe, meaning Hannah. Each year she made Samuel a new robe because he was growing, and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. 20. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan which she lent to the Lord, meaning her own son. She gave her own son to the Lord. And they would go unto their own home. So every year Eli blessed Hannah to have more children. 21. So the Lord remembered Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Hannah ended up having six children altogether, which is so awesome. And she gave her first to the Lord, and she raised five. 22. Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how that they lay with the women that did service at the door of the tent of meeting. They're even having sex with women who work at the temple. This is so hideous, and we have pastors today who do the same thing. They have sex with women at church, and they rob God of God's offering, and they take more money for themselves than what they actually need to have their needs met, and they have gold watches and fancy suits and fancy cars. They live in mansions, and they don't think anything's wrong with that, but God is watching, and he knows. Eli's sons were robbing people. They were robbing God and they were defiling women in the tabernacle. They're living like complete pagans, and it says they never knew God. They never had any relationship with the Lord. They were total pagans masquerading 
as priests simply because they were born into it. And that's what we have today in our society. We have a lot of pastors in charge of churches who are literally pagans masquerading as pastors. 23, and he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear evil reports concerning you from all this people. So Eli did confront them verbally. 24, Nay, my sons, for it is no good report which I hear the Lord's people do spread abroad. Eli is saying, Everybody's talking about how evil you are. 25, If one man sin against another, God shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? But they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. Eli is confronting them, but he isn't taking the priesthood away from them, and he really should. He's still allowing them to act as priests and abuse all of the people. And God allowed the boys to not listen to their father because he had plans to kill them. They have sinned so much against the Lord and caused so much damage to his people that God has already made a choice. He's going to kill them. 26. And the child Samuel grew on and increased in favor both with the Lord and also with men. Now this means that Samuel could be trusted by the Lord and by men. He was trustworthy to everyone. You know, some people, they obey the Lord in secret, but out in public, they don't really love people. Other people love and adore people and would give people the coat off their back if they thought somebody needed it but they don't have trust with the Lord. They don't obey his laws in their private life. In order to really please the Lord, we need to obey him in our private life and love others in our public life. Samuel did both. And by the way, this is also said of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, that he grew in favor with both God and men. 27. And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, So this is a prophet who's coming to Eli. And the prophet said, Thus saith the Lord, Did I reveal myself unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh's house? 28. And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up unto mine altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Remember how God always asks rhetorical questions. And when God asks us a question, he doesn't need an answer. He knows what the answer is. The question is to get us to think. It's actually a statement. These questions are actually statements. He's saying, I brought the Israelites out of Egypt. I appointed the tribe of Levi to serve me in the tabernacle. I gave the tribe of Levi food from the offerings and sustenance so that they could survive. 29. Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people? God is telling Eli through this prophet, you are offending me because you are allowing your sons to take the fat of the offering that's supposed to go to me. He's saying you are kicking the offering, like you'd kick dust or kick a dog if you're really mean. And he's saying, you're totally disrespecting the offering and you're stealing it from me. Now it isn't Eli himself who's stealing it, but because Eli is allowing his sons to steal it, that's just as bad. And this shows that God does hold parents accountable for what they allow their children to do. Now, if your child isn't living with you, you have no control over them. But if your child is under your roof, God does hold you accountable for what you willingly allow them to do. And in this case, Eli is willingly allowing his sons to abuse the people and the offering. 
he verbally confronted them, but he never actually stopped them. He never told them no. He never took their appointments away. 30. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. So God is saying, I originally said that your family would have the priesthood, because Eli is a descended from Aaron, the first high priest. But now he's saying, I'm not going to do that if you guys don't do what you're supposed to do because the covenant is that you guys have to obey my law and you're not obeying my law. So I am going to honor the man who honors me. And if somebody despises me like your sons, I won't honor them. 31. Behold the days come that I will cut off thine arm. A man's arm, his right arm, is his firstborn son. Every reference in the Old Testament and the New Testament to right arms is always a reference to a son a firstborn. That's why there are many references to Jesus Christ in the Old Testament saying that he is the right arm of God. When this prophet tells Eli that God is saying he's going to cut off your arm, that literally means your firstborn son is going to die. And the arm of thy father's house, that there shall be not an old man in thy house. They're going to die young. 32. And thou shalt behold a rival in my habitation, in all the good which shall be done to Israel, and there shall not be an old man in thy house forever. The rival is going to be Samuel. Samuel is going to serve in the place that Eli's sons should have served, but God is going to kill them, and he's going to let Samuel take over. Even though Samuel is not a Levite, he's going to serve similar to one. He's going to be a Nazarite serving in the tabernacle when Eli dies. 33. Yet will I not cut off every man of thine from mine altar to make thine eyes to fail and thy heart to languish, and all the increase of thy house shall die young men. 34. And this shall be the sign unto thee, that which shall come upon thy two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas, in one day they shall both die. As a sign to Eli that he knows that this was a word from the Lord and that the prophet didn't make this up, both Hophni and Phinehas are going to die on the same day. That's the prophecy. 35. And I will raise me up a faithful servant. Now this is in the far future. This isn't talking about Samuel. This is now talking about when the priestly line will come back. And it says, I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. Now that priest that he's talking about now is Zedduk from the family of Eleazar, who came into Abiathar's place in the beginning of Solomon's reign. And Solomon won't be reigning for quite a while because Solomon is going to be the third king of Israel, and we haven't even had the first king yet. The first king is Saul. When the third king of Israel takes reign, that's when God will raise up a new man from Eli's household to become high priest, and that will be Zadok. 36. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left in thy house shall come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and for a loaf of bread, and shall say, Put me, I pray thee, into one of the priest's offices, that I may eat a morsel of bread. I think it's saying that in the day of Zadok, other Levites are going to ask if they can work for him. But this is in the far future. Right now, God is going to cut Eli's family off because he's going to kill both of his sons because of their wickedness. And that prophecy concludes 1 Samuel chapter 2.